nothing makes history trickier to investigate than the whiff of scandal. Cover-ups and spin aren't modern inventions, and when it makes every source you have unreliable, then getting to the truth of the matter becomes all but impossible. So in today's article, all we can do is to report both the rumors and the official version and let you draw your own conclusions about Madame Mauvoisin and the affair of the poisons. Welcome, my loves, to Poisonous Affairs. I'll be discussing the sordid details of some of the most talked-about scandals that rocked the 17th century French and English courts. It's all about lust, power, greed, and murder. <laughs> Catherine Mauvoisin's early days are sparsely documented, but we know she was born around 1640 and probably lived in Paris. From an early age, she was fascinated with fortune-telling, learning palmistry at the age of nine. She had a talent for cold reading, the ability to read somebody's cues as she told their fortune and convince them that she knew things that she could not normally have known. Catherine was married in her teens to a jeweler named Antoine Mauvoisin, and they would go on to have at least three children. Their eldest was a daughter named Marguerite, who was born in 1658. Unfortunately, Antoine's business failed, and the family fell on hard times. In order to support them, Catherine drew on her childhood interests and lifelong hobby and began telling fortunes for money. Catherine's main form of fortune-telling was reading palms, sometimes called chiromancy. This was considered a quote-unquote pagan superstition by the Catholic Church, but many people at the time believed there was a science behind it. It provided the ideal ground for her to use her cold reading skills, and she soon became very successful. As a professional alias and a pun on her name, she adopted the friendly title of The Neighbor, or in French, La Voisin. As with all such female fortune tellers, Catherine found that she was often visited by women with the problem of an illegitimate child on the way. Abortion was illegal in France at the time, of course, leaving women no option but to turn to shady characters like Catherine for assistance. Sometimes she gave them an abortion, sometimes she would deliver the child for them and then have it secretly adopted or otherwise dealt with. Either way, her utter discretion in these matters was probably a major factor in how she began to get more and more high-profile clients, including several from the nobility. In the mid-1660s, Catherine had become famous enough as a fortune-teller that she was challenged by a priest over them. Rather than back down, Catherine chose to defend herself before the professors at the Sorbonne Theological College. This college was well known for challenging heretical views, but Catherine showed her mettle before them. She was an intelligent woman, far from what they had expected. Her spirited defense of the science behind her palm reading and her affirmation that any spiritual powers she possessed were gifts from God was enough to convince them to let her go. They were satisfied that she was not a heretic, but they were wrong. By this time, Catherine had graduated from telling fortunes to offering her clients a way to change those fortunes. This started out benignly enough, telling them to pray to a certain saint for assistance or similar. However, as Catherine became more involved with the occult community of Paris, most notably Adam Le Sange, a self-professed magician, 
this began to change. Another common problem among her visitors was the desire for someone to fall in love with them. Catherine began selling magic charms and special powders to aid them in this. In 1667, she was asked to do this on a major scale. Someone wanted her to help them become the lover of the king. Mm, 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 mm. That someone was the Marquise de Montespan, though it was her companion, Claude, a former actress, who approached La Voisin. The king was Louis XIV, the Sun King. He was one of the most powerful men in the world, and to become his mistress, there was nothing Madame de Montespan wouldn't do. Even if it meant literally selling her soul to Satan himself. The first ceremony for the Marquise took place in Catherine's house. An abbot named Mariotte presided, with Lesange and Catherine assisting. After prayers to Satan, a drug was prepared and given to Madame de Montespan to use on the king. Whether it gave her the confidence she needed to win him, or whether it did contain some aphrodisiac ingredients, in a short time, Madame de Montespan was the king's new mistress. This success boosted La Voisin to new heights. Soon, she had escalated into producing full black masses for her clients in order to win them lovers and marriages, among other things. Oh, my. I should have said at the beginning of the episode, listener's discretion is advised because the next part is a bit graphic. So I'm going to say it now. Listener's discretion is advised. The best account of one of these masses comes from 1673, when Madame de Montespan returned. The king's affections were wavering, and she had decided a satanic boost was needed. According to Etienne Guibourg, the priest who performed the ceremony, they laid a black cloth on an altar. Madame de Montespan then laid down on it, face up and completely naked. Now, according to some accounts, she forced her maid, Claude, to do this instead. As the priest intoned a blasphemous version of the liturgy, an infant was brought to the altar. The priest laid the chalice on the naked woman's belly. Catherine then cut the infant's throat and let it pour into the chalice, spilling out onto the woman's body. She threw the body into a nearby furnace as the priest raised his chalice and completed the ritual. Whether this was a genuine human sacrifice or just clever stage managing in a dark candlelit room is hard to tell. Catherine's daughter later testified that she bought pigeons for her mother and saw her cut their throats and collect the blood. She also said that the altar was simply a mattress on some chairs with stools to the side for the candles. On the other hand, at least one of the priests involved seemed to have believed there was power involved and tried to use a black mass to prevent a friend's mistress from conceiving. Guess what, folks? It didn't work. By the 1670s, Lavoisa had branched out into another line of work. Poisoning. Her knowledge of chemistry, network of clients, and reputation for discretion gave her the perfect alley for distribution of this type of substance. Soon she was at the center of a network of distributors, a sisterhood of fortune tellers, and backroom medics with a lethal sideline. Though their noble clients got the highest profile, they most commonly sold their poison to women trapped in abusive marriages who would find no relief from the legal system. 
The poison they were distributing is unknown, but it's likely to have been similar to one known as Aquatofana. This was a recipe that had been developed by an Italian woman named Giulia Tofana 30 or 40 years earlier. I actually did an episode on her. Check it out. The primary ingredient was arsenic, which was such a common poison that it was sometimes called inheritance powder. The gradual sickness it caused was perfect for allying suspicions and for allowing the poisoner to manage the time of death. Other ingredients included belladonna and lead, resulting in a tasteless poison that looked like simple water and left the doctors of the time none the wiser. Marital fidelity seems to have been in short supply in 17th century France. Well, I mean, a lot of the times, especially within or amongst the nobility, it wasn't really a marriage of love, was it? But anyway, I digress. The king, of course, usually had mistresses or multiple mistresses competing for his affections. He treated them all with a shocking callousness, casting them aside at a whim and betting anyone who caught his eye. The marriage of the Mauvoisins was equally unfaithful. Catherine had at least six lovers, including her assistant, Adame Le Sange. Adam once tried to convince Catherine to poison her husband to get him out of the way, but Catherine decided against it. I don't even know. Again, I'm not judging. I'm not judging. Actually, secretly, I am judging, but I'm not judging. I just don't understand how you can have six. Is it six, like... All at once. I'm not talking about like an orgy, but like, are you having like one? So on Monday, you have one Tuesday, you have the next one Wednesday. Let me tell you, folks, I can barely remember the names of people. It's not me who would be able to have six lovers at the same time because, you know, I'm shit with names. I and I would get confused. And um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how people juggle so many. (laughs) It's not me. It was the poisons that would lead to La Voisin's downfall. Now, the next part of this article talks about um, Marie-Madeleine de Brinvilliers. We already did an episode on her. It was episode three, so go check it out if you haven't heard it. But I'm going to skip through this section um, of the article because you already heard it, or if not, go back and listen to it. So the article says whether Marie was actually guilty or not is sometimes debated. Now, the sole evidence against her was the word of a dead man, her dead lover, and a confession tortured out of her. What is true is that her conviction and the idea that three aristocrats had been murdered, so they're talking about her father and her two brothers, without anyone realizing, was enough to set off a panic among the upper classes. When a fortune teller named Madeleine de Lagrange was arrested for forging a will, she tried to bargain for her freedom by claiming that she had information about crimes of national importance. Though she didn't have any tangible information to share, her testimony was what began the official investigation. So over the next couple of years, the court, uh, led by Gabriel Nicolas de Larigny, swept up alchemists, fortune tellers, and others on the fringes of society who could be suspected of using poisons. One of these was Louis de Vanon, who was suspected of selling poison that was used to murder the Duke of Savoy, one of the highest noblemen in the land. Though they became convinced there was a secret organization to these poison sellers, they had no luck in cracking it open. Then, in 1679, they hit the jackpot when they arrested a poisoner named Marie Bosse. 
Marie was arrested after she got drunk at a party and started boasting that she had become so rich by selling poisons to the aristocracy that she would soon be able to retire. One of the guests informed on her to the police, who set up a sting to buy poison from her. Once they had verified the deadliness of what she sold them, they swooped in and arrested her. Now this part, this part, whether it's alleged or true or whatever, it's kind of gross, but here it is. Allegedly, when they arrested her, Marie, she was in the middle of an ancestral relation with her two sons and her daughter. Here, folks, is where I am judging hardcore. Marie was tortured into a confession which gave up the entire organization of poison sellers in Paris and which placed Catherine Mauvoisin right in the center of it. La Renie hesitated to arrest her as he knew that she was connected to some very powerful people at court. He finally arrested her in March of 1679. In doing so, he may well have prevented her from carrying out the most high-profile poisoning of her career, that of Louis XIV himself. Madame de Montespan had always said that she would kill the king if he abandoned her, or so it was claimed later. Now, this is where it gets a bit sketchy. I'm not too sure if she would actually say that because the king legitimized all their children. I mean, she was given you know, money. I mean, it would be a little bit too much if she actually killed the king. She knew that the king was sleeping around. He was also sleeping with the governess of their children, who would later be married to the king after his wife, you know, passed away. So this is where, like, it gets a little bit sketchy. But anyway, the alleged plot of Catherine and her accomplices was to present a petition to the king, which had been treated with a contact poison. Her initial attempt was foiled because there were too many other petitioners for the poisoned one to be presented directly to the king. She was allegedly on her way to plan a new attempt when she was arrested. Initially, Catherine tried to defend herself by claiming that Marie Boss had made the accusations against her in order to save her own skin by denouncing a rival. Catherine's maid, Margot, who had also been arrested, warned the investigators that they were playing with fire. The arrest of Catherine, she said, would impact on people at all levels of society. That convinced La Renie to treat carefully, though he was quick enough to scoop up all of Catherine's associates. Then he started figuring out exactly what he had. Though an authorization was issued to torture Catherine for information, it never seems to have actually been used. Perhaps La Renie was worried about what she might say, or he was aware of how unreliable information gained that way could be. Instead, he took advantage of Catherine's functional alcoholism and had his interrogators make sure she was permanently inebriated. It paid off. Initially, she stuck to her story that she had sent anyone trying to buy poison to Marie Boss, but soon she was naming names. The first people she named were minor nobles who received minor sentences, something which began leading people to denounce the court as a farce. In response, Louis XIV declared in December of 1679 that the investigators should spare nobody, regardless of rank. It was a declaration he would regret. Catherine went on trial in February of 1680. It was a very short trial, even given the amount of evidence against her. 
After the inevitable guilty verdict, a warrant was issued that she should be tortured to produce a confession before the death sentence was carried out. However, though the official records say that this was done, accounts at the time say that the order was ignored. The authorities were still doing their best to keep Madame de Montespan's name out of these events and had no wish to provoke an indiscreet confession. Catherine was executed less than a week after her trial, burned alive in the Place de Grève. She did not go quietly to meet her fate. The night before she persuaded her guards to let her drink her fill and eat a hearty last meal, and it's quite possible that she was still tipsy on her way to her execution. A priest tried to persuade her to confess, but she violently repulsed him. At the execution ground, she had to be dragged, fighting every step of the way, to the stake. As the fire was lit, she did her best to kick the burning straw away from her, but it was all in vain. Soon the fires flared up, and when it died down, she was dead. The death of Catherine did not bring an end to the investigation of the poisoning ring. In fact, it seems to have intensified it. In part, this was due to her daughter Marguerite, who seems to have realized that she would have to work hard to avoid following her mother to the scaffold. She and her brothers, who were living with their father, had initially not been arrested, but shortly before her mother's trial, the authorities had swept them up. This might have been part of the attempt to wrap up the investigation. If so, it failed. The arrest of Marguerite was about to begin a new and even darker phase of the affair. Marguerite's confession soon began to paint a picture that was even darker than the burning court had expected. The tale of black masses and human sacrifices that unfolded shocked them, but it also seems to have convinced them that Marguerite had played no part in the affair. Those she named were soon confirming the story. As soon as Madame de Montespan's name entered the picture, matters took a different turn. It was one thing that she might have used magic to ensnare the king's interest, but the idea that she had tried to have the queen to be set aside and for her to marry the king was unthinkable. In addition, she was far from the only noble implicated. Olympia Mancini, the head of the queen's household and the most senior female non-royal at court, was the most notable of those implicated. With such explosive accusations being leveled, it soon became clear that Louise's declaration of disregard for rank was just empty words. Instead, the poison case investigation became the poison case cover-up. The records of the trial were burned, though the interrogation records from the Bastille survived and allow historians to reconstruct the events. Those who could be safely executed on other charges were put to death, but it was decided that none of the others could be allowed to go free. Instead, Louis issued a great number of the infamous Lettres de Cachet. Anyone even slightly implicated was to be imprisoned for the rest of their lives. And that included Marguerite Montvoisin, even though the investigators concluded that she was innocent of wrongdoing. Minor details like that barely mattered in the court of the Sun King. She was imprisoned on the island of Belle-Île-en-Mer, off the coast of Brittany. Now, I could go on and on and on, but we already know that Madame de Montespan fell out of favor, and about 10 years later, after the affair of the poison, she was sent to a convent to retire. 
uh, the king married one of his mistresses uh, after his wife died. We know that many nobles were either exiled or executed, depending on if they were higher-ranking nobles or not. Um, so yeah, what a story. The scandal, friends. The scandal. I'm telling you, life is more fucked up than fiction. You really can't make this shit up. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this episode of Poisonous Affairs, where we looked into the life of Catherine Mauvoisin. Tune in next week for more juicy tales. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You'll find the links in the show notes. With all that being said, enjoy the weekend and stay safe. And you'll hear from me again next week. Mwah. Bye.